Were you ready? When I was uh, sitting there listening to the rain this afternoon, I thought people are going to be mad at me praying for the rain like that. No. <laughs> be praying for the spiritual rain. But um, I am so glad that y'all are here tonight. We were here earlier today, some of the ladies and I, praying for tonight, and it was good. And God was here, and he's still here, and I don't think I need my phone. And I think my volume's still on. That's bad. (laughs) Thank you for coming tonight. I've got some things that have been burning in my heart since last fall. We were actually at a ladies' retreat. Our sisterhood got away in the fall. And um, I actually wasn't looking for any direction at all. I was more looking for sleep on Saturday morning. That was elusive. And I woke up about 3 in the morning. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as day and said, culture can only reign where the church does not. And um, he really dropped it in my heart to do something prayer-ish in the spring. And I was really thinking we'd do more of a prayer retreat. Even at that retreat center, I could have handpicked maybe 15 women or so. It would have been comfortable. We were going to go away. And then in February, he said, you're not thinking big enough. I really want to do a seminar. And I said, okay, well, we'll put it out there. And we scheduled it for the spring. We scheduled it for April. And like Pastor Michael said, the devil is a liar. The night before the seminar was supposed to start, we were at the ER instead of sleeping. <laughs> and, but the weapon that was formed did not prosper. And we had to postpone our seminar. But we just thought, ha ha, Mr. Devil, we'll just show you. We're going to add a night. So we added a night to it, and um, tonight's, I'm calling it Spirit-Fed Prayer. We're going to talk about different things during this seminar, and we're going to talk about using our authority. We're going to talk about the church taking her place and reigning instead of culture in this nation. Um, How how many of you know the church needs to reign instead of culture? Because what we're seeing with our natural eyes is culture just taking over, but that has to stop. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow night. I was going to do this Saturday afternoon, but we're shifting the schedule around a bit. So tomorrow night, if you can be here tomorrow night, I I really want your help to pray this through and to start praying this out. But we're going to talk about governments and leaders and end times and praying for all of those things and what that looks like. So if you can be here tomorrow night, you don't want to miss it. Saturday morning, we're going to hear from my best friend, Jennifer Fayok. Jennifer, could you just stand up real quick? This is my BFF. And if anything good came out of postponing the seminar, it was that she could be here. We have been best friends for 20 years. She's been my prayer partner, partner in crime, my confidant. I was just remembering while we were in worship some of those times at Mark Brzee's. Man, those prayer times with Rebecca, little Rebecca, those were so good. But, um, <clears throat> hmm? Did you, is it still there? <laughs> but we go way back. She's going to minister Saturday morning on praying your future and prophetic praying and different things like that. So you really don't want to miss that. She's going to do a phenomenal job bringing the heart of God in that and kind of leading us in that. And um, then we're going to close out Saturday afternoon with our position in prayer. And we're actually going to tag team it and open it up to a Q&A at the end. So if you have any questions on anything that we're ministering this weekend, write them down, bring them with you Saturday. We're going to open it up for question and answer at the end before we pray. So, um, but before we pray tonight, let's just pray before we teach. Father, we just thank you for this time together. I ask you to use me tonight. I have nothing of value to say unless you're your spirit breathes life on it. And so I ask you to do that as I minister what you've put in my heart, breathe life on it. Let it ignite a fire in our hearts to pray even more, to use our authority to bring your will to pass on this earth. And we just ask you to just rest on this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I was preparing for this, Seminar, Zechariah 10.1, just coming back up in my heart. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds and he will give them showers of rain 
grass in the field for everyone. And there's another verse in, in one of the prophets where it says that he comes like the rain. And so that's been my prayer really since October when I started praying about prayer seminars or prayer retreats and things. I've just been praying that he would send the rain, that he would flood the river, and that he would strike the earth with his power and send a tsunami of miracles. We want the rain here, but we want a move of God out there. We want the rain out there. So we're going to talk about the rain this week too. Going to talk about who needs the rain, how to pray for the rain and those different things. I'm really excited. And James 5, 7 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That's it. That's it. That's the focus of it all. That's the focus of everything in the Word. That's the focus of everything that God's doing in this earth, the coming of the Lord. There were 300 and some prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming. There's three times that many about the second coming, and it is not long. It is not long coming. See how he waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he sees the early and the latter rain. And so we're going to see, and we're standing on the precipice of a move of God that's so strong that we've never seen it before. It's going to be a move of God, the early and the latter rain together. And we look at the early rain, which is the book of Acts, and how he poured out his spirit in the book of Acts. And we've seen some of the latter rain and the healing revivals and the Azusa Street revivals and the different things that have come before now. And I hear a lot of people saying, do it again, Lord. And I'm like, no, Mm-mm. I don't want you to do it again. I want you to do it afresh. I want you to do something new. I want you to pour out miracles and signs and wonders that we have never seen before. And I've seen some things. And I've heard some things. I sat under Brother Hagen. I don't know how many of you know who Brother Hagen is, but he was one of my instructors, well, the president of our Bible school. And I would just sit in class and listen to him to talk about the miracles, about how he was in that tiny little church where the girl got up on the altar. She was up on the altar, and it had an end, you know, it was just a little altar in the front of the church giving the altar call with her eyes closed just going dancing going back and forth on the pacing back and forth on the altar with her eyes closed she never stepped off it never got even near the end and she just paced and every time someone would give their heart to Christ she danced on that altar eyes closed the whole time and as soon as every person in that church gave their heart to God she danced off the end of the altar, remember? And right back on, never fell off, never fell down. She was dancing in midair. The presence of God was so thick in that place. Revival, souls, that's what it's all about. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's waiting on the early and the latter rain. It's not just the church that needs the rain. It's not just the church that needs the rain, (laughs) right? They need the rain. The rain does what? It softens the ground to prepare it to receive the seed, right? So if we're not praying for the rain on the lost, if we're not praying for the rain for our governments, if we look at the LGBT movement and just are sarcastic and cold and hard and afraid, instead of praying for the rain on the heart's of men and women that are lost and in need of God, the ground's going to be so hard they can't receive the seed. Right? We need the rain. So we're going to look at that. I love that the the Bible cover to cover is covered in prayer. I love that it starts with prayer. And I love that the last words of Revelation are, Come, Lord Jesus. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The very last words of the book of, of the of the Bible or prayer. I love prayer. It's one of my favorite things. So we're going to start just with a few foundational things, and then we're going to get into spirit-fed prayer tonight. I tend to talk fast, so I'll try to slow it down. Um, But I was going to skip over some of these things, and and as I was studying and preparing my notes, the Holy Spirit said, well, you take for granted what you know, and you think everybody knows what you know. 
So you just need to put it out there because not everybody has <laughs> the same foundation as you. So we're just going to throw it out there. It might be stuff you've heard before. Don't shut your brain off. Holy Spirit can always show you something new and something you've heard a hundred times before. But we're going to talk about what prayer is not and what prayer is. And we're going to talk about successful prayer because we want successful prayer. And successful prayer is not, it's not measured in volume Although I can be loud, and loud is not bad, but loud is not the measure of a successful prayer, and it's not measured in length, and I can pray long, (laughs) and long is not bad, but that's not the measure of a successful prayer. Successful prayer is not measured in a goosebump. Did I feel something while I was praying? If I felt something while I was praying, ooh, maybe that meant it was successful, No, prayer is not measured, successful prayer is not measured in a feeling, because you can very well pray an authoritative prayer that receives an answer and feel nothing. And if you're waiting to feel something before you start praying, then you're not led by the Spirit when you're praying, you're led by your feelings, and fooey on that anyway. We're not, uh, successful prayer is not measured in, did I feel the power here? Because sometimes we leave prayer thinking, oh, that was so good because I felt the power that must have been successful. And I had this, I got this analogy last week actually as the sisterhood was praying on Thursday morning. And um, I, I like to say this, when we're being used by God, the hose always gets wet, right? When you're watering your flowers, doesn't the inside of the hose always get wet? kind of a byproduct of using the hose. We're the instrument, so we're the hose. The hose always gets wet, but it's never about the hose. We don't go and say, I hosed my flowers today, right? What do we say? I watered them. The hose is just the instrument that I use to water my flowers today, because sometimes I use a pitcher, sometimes use an old milk jug, (laughs) sometimes I use a cup just depends on what you have on hand it's never about the water or the hose it's always about the water so it's never about the power that we feel here in fact sometimes when you feel power here kind of like when you're using a gun when you shoot it the bullet is supposed to go out and affect a target out there what happens when you feel the power of a gun here the recoil will sometimes bruise you but you know it's when the gun backfires that you feel the power where the gun is. And that's not a good thing. A backfire is not a good thing. It means your gun was dirty. <laughs> Sometimes God's just cleaning his guns. But um, so successful prayer is not measured in did I feel the power here. Prayer is not hoping he'll do something. It can't hurt. Nothing else worked. It's come to this. <laughs> I've tried everything else. And so now I just have to pray and trust God. Prayer is not our last resort. It should be our first line of defense. So successful prayer is not all these things. Successful prayer is, did he answer? And you know, sometimes you don't know that immediately, right? And so we're not going to measure whether prayer was successful or not by any of these standards anymore. We're going to measure it in faith. We're going to measure it in trust. We're going to write it in our journal, and we're going to watch him move. And if you don't have a journal, I'm going to suggest that you get one. I've got several. We were looking at them before service. Like, this one is for my pre-sermon notes. This one is the one I write my sermon notes in. This is my prayer journal. This is my everyday journal. So, But I have a prayer journal, and when I pray, I write it in there. And that does, it serves several purposes because it, it, it takes away from the need to tell. I prayed for that. Ooh, guess what I prayed for today. So that just reeks of pride, and that's nasty, and we just want to stay away from that. So if you feel the need to tell, just go write it in your journal. But when you write it in your journal, and he does answer, you can go back and mark in your journal the day that he answered, because he will. And what a faith booster that is when you're standing for something else to go back through your prayer journals and see the day that you prayed and the day that he answered, the day that you prayed and the day that he answered. It's so awesome. And I'm getting off track, but 
Um, prayer, successful prayer is measured in did he answer? And I just want to talk just a few minutes also. Um, I don't know how many of you heard of a gentleman by the name of Reese Howells. Has anybody read Reese Howells' Intercessor? Couple? Anybody? Levi, no. Another prayer partner of mine for years. Love praying with Lori Williams. If you ever get a chance. I do not get unction the way I get unction when I pray with this woman. She's just got a heart of God. But Reese Howells was, he had a Bible school during World War One, Two, World War Two, And um, I'm going to read some excerpts of him, but um, prayer is not something to be taken lightly. And I think sometimes we take things way too lightly. And sometimes we even joke. And sometimes we even say, oh, I'll pray for you, but we don't really mean it. Sometimes we go, oh, in Jesus' name. Prayer is not something to be taken lightly, and the name of Jesus is not something to be teased about. The Bible says that you have to believe what you say is going to come to pass, and if you take it lightly, and if you tease, and if you don't believe what you say, it's not something to be taken lightly. And so Reese Howells, was a, um, he had a Bible school during... World War II, very, very, very behind-the-scenes kind of person. But the, the title of his book is Intercessor, and the first part of it is very challenging. Do not read it if you don't want to be challenged. But um, about how he came to his place of abiding in the Lord and how he got so intimately acquainted with the voice of the Lord to be able to pray the way that he prayed and see the results that he saw. And so I'm just going to read you some excerpts just from the chapter on the Battle of Dunkirk. And so he had determined that as long as the troops were on the field, he would be on his knees. And it, there was, there's a quote in there that says that I marched on my knees daily with the army. He was very, very, very purposeful in his praying, very led by the Spirit in his praying, but um, I just want to read a few of these excerpts. And he said, as the Nazis poured through Europe, the college, so it was him and his students and instructors, stood daily before God. And then it says, we quote from notes taken from Mr. Howell's messages in the meetings. So it starts on May 16th. And then they prayed three or four times throughout the day. On May 17th at 9.30 a.m., it says, God will not do a bit more through you than you have faith for. The victory last night was in seeing that no matter how near the enemy came, the Holy Ghost is stronger than he. You are more responsible for this victory today than those men on the battlefield. You must be dead to everything else but this fight. And so it just talks about the commitment that they had to praying for these battles. And um, over on May 18th at 2.30 in the afternoon, it says, I want to fight with this enemy again this weekend as if it were the end of civilization. There's a commitment there. You don't leave anything to chance in this. Don't allow those young men at the front to do more than you do here. I do ask him to bring a real disaster to the Nazis this weekend. And then at 6.30 that same night, it says, As the Lord gave us the prediction, and as we have had the victory in it, and the delay has not changed our faith a bit, then we must come back and ask him when he is going to do it. When he is going to do it. I feel tonight that whatever these Nazis do, they cannot escape the Holy Spirit. Christianity is quite safe. If you have faith, you can leave it in his hand and he will intervene in the right time. We can't inquire when he is going to do it if we haven't got the faith that he is going to do it. And then on May 20th at 2.30 in the afternoon, he said, I think tonight of sending the book, God cha challenges the dictators to Mr. Churchill to encourage him at this moment. The army is losing ground every day. In the book, it has been said that man would not be able to end this, but that God has said, don't expect me to do it until you come to your extremity. The only thing we want the Lord to make plain to us is, are we up to the place he wants us to be at this moment? The only thing I want is not to doubt 
in the time of crisis, and it is going to be a real crisis. Even the man of faith that Reese Howells was dealt with doubt and unbelief when he prayed. May 22nd at 9 a.m., the world is in a panic today, and certainly we would be too unless we were quite sure the Lord had spoken to us. The destiny of England will be at stake today and tomorrow, but we do not panic, we trust. At 3.30 p.m., in a battle such as we are in today, you cannot trust in a meeting or in feelings. We must go back to what God has told us. There is an enemy that we must keep in check until God does the big thing. And culture can only reign when the church does not. But the church has got to believe that God can do it. You know, Jesus said, will I find faith in this earth when I come? May 27th at 9 a.m., there is intercession and faith so the Lord can do a mighty deed. Our people will see God answering their prayers and they will have the joy of it. At 2.45 that same day, he said, it is as much as I can do to believe today. The news between the two meetings was awful. Hell upon earth. And on May 28th, Mr. Howells was alone with God. In the meetings, the prayer was for God to intervene at Dunkirk and save the men. As the Spirit came upon them in prayer and supplication, what one prayed at the end expressed the assurance given to all, I feel sure something has happened. And it did. God delivered, delivered the troops at the Battle of Dunkirk in a mighty, powerful way because there were men and women who were willing to not take prayer lightly. May 30th at 7.30 p.m. From a worldly standpoint, there is no hope of victory, but God has said it. I could not come tonight and ask him to intervene because we have already said that he is going to intervene. Instead of bad news about our soldiers, if he is on the field of battle, he can change that and make it very good news. Oh, for God to lift us up tonight. We are not to run into any panic thinking the Nazis are going to win. Germany must be delivered as well as England and France. We may have to go through far greater sufferings yet, and your flesh might suffer when you go into intercession and prayer, but I am not going to doubt the final issue. We state in plainest terms, the enemy will not invade Christian England. And then it goes back on to just talk about miracle after miracle after miracle that God did in response to the prayers of the saints. And you know, there's this thing going around the church right now that because of grace, we don't have to pray. We just have to rest in the finished work of Christ and wait for him to do something. But I'm going to tell you, that's a lie. That is a lie that the enemy is infiltrating the church with right now to get them to back off. And she has. And we're done. We're not backing off anymore. But it's going to look a little different than we think that it's going to look. And on page 224 of this book, Faith House, or Reese House said, as he was summing up some of the miracles and some of what God did, he said, God found faith equal to what he wanted to do. And that's the whole point of this prayer seminar, is to lift us up to a higher place in prayer, to look at it from God's point of view, to learn how to pray for leaders and governments, to learn what our position in prayer is, to learn how and that we need to pray out our future, and that we can pray prophetically into the future. That's the whole point, is to bring us up as a church so that we can take our place and stop culture from reigning. Amen. 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 God's going to do a good thing this week. Hallelujah. So tonight we're going to talk about, that was all kind of the lead up. Keeping my eye on the clock. I know it's a work night. But um, we're going to talk about spirit-fed prayer. And I, I look at it as kind of two sides of the coin. You have spirit-led prayer. You have spirit-fed prayer. You have visible Fruits of prayer, and you have the hidden side of prayer. It's almost like a tree. You have the fruit that comes out that everybody can see, but you have the roots that go deep, right? And so the spirit-fed prayer, we're going to talk about that hidden side of prayer tonight, which I think is almost more important than the visible side of prayer. 
than the taking the authority. Because if you don't have the hidden side of prayer, if you don't have the roots going deep into him, if you don't have what, and I like to go, you don't have the abiding down pat. How many of you have heard a message or two on abiding? How many of you have heard a message or two from me on abiding? It is my favorite subject in the whole wide Bible. <laughs> because it is so vital. It is so vital. It's where faith is rooted. It's where authority is grounded. And if we don't have it, then the fruit of prayer is not going to be evident in our lives. That successful God answered is not going to be evident in our lives. And that's what we're after. That's the part of prayer that we're after. So we're going to talk about the foundation of a successful prayer life tonight and its intimacy and its abiding. Prayer is bred and fed in intimacy. And more people are concerned about the output than they are about the input. And um, that's why tonight I know we're going to have lots of corporate prayer. And I've missed it. I've longed for it. I can't wait to pray together. But we have designated tonight to be more of a soaking night. And we're going to do the spirit-fed prayer. We're going to let him fill us up. John 7 Verse, I can't read it, something. In the Message Bible says, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. No, this is Matthew. This is Matthew. This isn't the one I want. I want John 7. Where's John 7? John 7, 37. <laughs> this was when Jesus went to the feast. And, um, oh, we'll just wait. We'll wait on that. Jesus went to the feast, and it says, On the last day of the feast, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And a lot of times, and when I look at this and I talk about it, I think about it, those rivers that flow out of us, there's prayer rivers, there's unction rivers. I always relate it to prayer when I'm praying in the Spirit, that the Spirit will flow out of you, those rivers will flow out of you. But that's not what he said first. And we get so concerned with what flows out but what did he say first? He said, come to me and drink. It can't flow out unless we first take it in. And so what we need is spirit-fed prayer. And the only way that it really flows in is through abiding. That's when we drink. That's when we take in of his presence. That's when we take in of his glory. That's when we soak and fill ourselves up with him so that the river can flow out. Rivers are not self-fed, right? I've seen a man-made lake or two. <laughs> and I really want to know how they got all the water in there. Where did it come from? Anybody? can come up and tell me afterwards how they get all that water in there because Allie asked me the other day and I just didn't know. But rivers, I've never seen a man-made river. And rivers are not self-fed, are they? They've got a bigger source. Like if you look at the rivers in the, on the, in the Rocky Mountains, they're fed from the snow that falls from heaven. Rivers are not self-fed and neither is our river self-fed. And so we need to, to focus in on taking in before we give out. We need to be as concerned with the input as we are with the output. Yeah. And sometimes we go straight into Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about our position because sometimes fear drives it. You know, circumstances drive it. The news drives it. Different things drive our prayer. And then we just go straight to praying without really any confidence without really any faith. It's all fear-based. Has anybody ever done the fear prayer? But really, we're not supposed to pray until we have confidence because prayer is based on faith. 
And faith is a confidence and a firm persuasion that he who promised is faithful and will answer. So don't, we're not to pray until we have confidence, but I want to add another side to that. Until we have confidence, we should pray. Not the output, the abiding, right? So we're going to look at abiding tonight. And there's no better place to look at it than John 15. (laughs) In John 15, Jesus said, Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain or abide in me, and I abide in them, they will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Which really isn't any different than Jesus, because Jesus said, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to the Father. So if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you can ask anything the Father says and it'll be done. Is that what it said? Mm -mm. You can ask anything that you want. You can ask anything that you want. And to me, when I saw that, I thought, that's a little dangerous (laughs) because the flesh apart from God can want some squirrely things. But that's where if you abide in me and my word abides in you. Because when you're abiding in the Father and the Father's abiding in you, those desires are going to be holy. And you're going to ask some crazy, crazy, crazy things of God. We're not out for wimpy prayers. Jesus didn't pray wimpy prayers. Jesus didn't do wimpy things. Raising the dead? Hmm? Jesus did some wild things. Made spit. (laughs) Took his spit and made clay and put it on some guy's eyes. I think I'd have thrown up if somebody put spitty mud on my eyes. Ew, and I'm not even a germaphobe. Do we have any germaphobes in the house? But if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you can ask anything that you want. And how big is God? So the more that we abide in him, and he abides in us, and we see how big he is, don't you think what we ask for is going to be big. Oh, he's got some good stuff ahead. But he needs a church who thinks he's big enough to do it. He needs a church that's not afraid of the LGBT. He needs a church that's not afraid to ask for their hearts. He needs a church that's not afraid to pray for their government. I think we've been so afraid, you know, and I'm going to get ahead of myself. No. He needs a church that's not afraid. And where does that come from? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you're going to see how big I am. And you're not going to be afraid to ask. He needs a church that's going to ask some big, big things. Hmm. But it starts in abiding, and it starts in that spirit-fed. And it's so important to keep it in that spirit-fed place of abiding in him and his word abiding in us, because if not, then we just take it upon ourselves to make it happen, to get something going and to make something happen and to do it in the flesh. and, And when we do that, we start to say, I hose to the flowers. Instead of I watered the flowers. Instead of I was just the vessel. And I may have prayed for that, but guess what? He probably had two million other people in the world praying for that same thing. 
who probably had more faith in me than it was probably their prayers that made it happen. We want to keep ourselves under. We just definitely want to keep ourselves under the, the water. All we are is the riverbed. So the, what, what job really does the riverbed have to do but just to lay there? <laughs> the riverbed is just there. It doesn't really have any function other than it's just there. And it lets the river just row th- flow through it. It doesn't take any credit for anything. So we definitely want to keep it in that spirit-fed place to keep pride out of our prayer. Right? Anybody ever struggled with that? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to admit it? (laughs) So we definitely want to keep it there. But if we want to do... Jesus had 100% accurate prayer life. He had 100% success in his prayer life. And he said that the works that I do, you can do too. And I take that to mean all of his works, including prayer. And if he can have 100% accurate prayer life, then I really want to, too. I'm ready. I am ready to see when I lay hands on the sick that they actually recover. I think we've conditioned ourselves a little bit to wait. Right? Because we have. We've had to. We've had to wait. We've had to stand. And sometimes we've had to. And so we condition ourselves. We, you know, I got a bad report from the doctor, so I'm ready to stand. I've got my verses, I've got my Bible, I've got my journal, and I'm just ready to take my stand and wait. Which happens. It does happen. I don't know why. I don't know why. He hasn't shared that with me. When I get to heaven, I've got a whole book full of questions already about what I want to know. But we've conditioned ourselves to not see immediate results. And we're surprised when we do. I woke up, or I didn't wake up with a headache, but when we were at that ladies' retreat in the fall, I drank a cup of coffee, which I don't usually drink coffee. I'm a tea drinker, but I drank a cup of coffee that day, and I started to walk out of the place we were staying and got hit with a migraine, you know, the R and all. And I was like, oh, not today, Lord. I've got two services, or I got a service today. We got breakout sessions. We got stuff to do. So in Jesus' name, I take authority over this headache. And I was set to stand for my headache, to go away because the healer lived in me. And guess what? It immediately left, and I was shocked. (laughs) I was just surprised. I went, wow, I didn't expect that to happen. Hello, mighty woman of faith that I am. But um, so if we want to do the works that Jesus did, we have to do what Jesus did. And if the Son of God who came down from heaven and created everything that we see was there from the beginning, the Son of God could do nothing on his own and had to abide in the Father and in the Word. If he had to do it, then guess what? So do we. So in Matthew 11, I love this in the, in the Message Bible. It said, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But now I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And if we're going to do the works that Jesus did, then we need to have the father and son intimacies that Jesus had. Jesus did what he did because he knew the father. And he didn't know the father because he was the son of God. He knew the father because he abided in the vine. He came to show us how to live like like a son of God in the flesh. 
because Jesus did that. He didn't know the Father. He found out who he was as he read the Word. He found out who the Father was as he read the Word. He did what he did out of the Father and Son intimacies. He could do what he did because he was abiding in the vine. And if we think that we're going to be able to have answered prayer or pray for people and see them healed or do any of the works of Jesus like he did them without having the intimacy with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit like he did, then we're cray. Little cray-cray. And why wouldn't we want to have that kind of relationship? Why wouldn't we want that? And I, when we were singing that song, I just want to be where you are. I can't walk away. I've seen your face and I can't walk away. Man, I, just take a minute and think about what your life was like before you met Jesus. For some of us, it was quite a while ago. For some of us, it might have been last week. But I think about what my life was like before Jesus. I didn't have the happiest childhood. It was a little not so happy. <laughs> I, in the fourth grade, was reading like novels, big old adult-sized novels to escape my life. Because while I was reading that book, I could escape what I was living in and be that main character. But since I've met Jesus... I don't have to escape anything. His presence is more satisfying than anything. That intimate relationship with him is more satisfying than anything. And that's where the faith is built and the trust is built. And that's where the foundation for a successful prayer life is built, one that gets answers from the Father. It's built in that intimacy. Jesus said, it's the Father that's in me that does the work. And guess what? You can't fake intimacy. You just can't fake it. And the, in Acts chapter 19, there was a group of people that tried to fake it. In Acts 19 11, it says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. But guess what? Paul had an intimate relationship with the Father. If you go over to 2 Timothy, which is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, those final words of Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he said, I know whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. He didn't say, I know what yeah. I believed. He didn't say, I preached a hundred sermons on this. He didn't say, this is what the word says. None of that. He said, I know whom I have believed. This book is not just words. It's not just any old words on any old page. It's a love letter from God to us. And every book of this Bible reveals something of God to us. And if we're just reading it to check something off of our list that, bam, I read my Bible today, then you're not going to get any closer to the heart of the Father just reading the Word. But if you read the Word to get to know Him, if you're searching this Word to find something of Him in there, that's where intimacy is bred in the Word. It's not just that you've read it. I talked to one lady last week. I've been a Christian for 60 years but is not intimately acquainted with the Father. Been a Christian for 60 years. All her life she's been in the church, in a Christian, or a Christian, memorized scriptures and has no relationship with the Father. If you're not following those words back to the mouth that spoke them, they're not really benefiting you. If they're just words on a page or something to cross off a list or something to memorize because you think that's what you should be doing, you're missing the point. To abide for his word, to abide in you and you, to abide in the word, it's reading it like someone actually spoke it. 
and that the person that spoke it actually loves you. When Michael and I were dating, uh, it was long distance for part of that time. And it was before all-inclusive long distance on your phones, remember? When you actually had to pay for long distance, remember? Yeah. There weren't cell phones then. We were stuck. Remember the landlines with the long cord? And you had to have the long cord to walk all over the house. The kids are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> remember those? And they would get twisted. So then you'd stand on a chair so it would end. <laughs> the struggle was real. The struggle was real. The one in your kitchen was the best. (laughs) But we had $400 phone bills. Remember? Remember that? They were expensive. She knows. She's not dumb, honey. She's not dumb. So, um, So we wrote letters. I have them all in a little box upstairs, all the letters we wrote back and forth to each other. But I didn't just read them like they were the flyer on the pool down the street. I read them, and I reread them, and I imagined him speaking that word to me, and I memorized them. And sometimes he'd spray his cologne on them so I'd smell them, or I'd sleep with them if it smelled like him, right? Yeah, or he'd like spray his cologne on a T-shirt and send it to me so I had something that smelled like him. Man, he's hiding his face, but... Girls, single girls, if your guys aren't really treating you like you should be treated, you need to get away from those guys because I knew he loved me. And there were some things about him that drew me to him and his sensitivity, his ability to cry, his ability to just be real was one of them. So he, but anyway, so back to the word. (laughs) If you're not reading this letter like somebody actually wrote it to you, there's no intimacy there. Oh, there's a deeper way to read the word. And don't just read through it real quick to get it done. Because sometimes I, I get so, I read through the Bible in a year, I have a program, and I read other things too every day, but I like to get that done. Because I like to reread the whole word every year. I get something different out of the same passages every year. I have them dated in my Bible. I got this this year and this that year. And then you have to start a new Bible because it's all full. (laughs) But um, sometimes I get stuck on the second verse. And I'm there for days. And I never get on with the rest of the Bible reading. And it's supposed to be Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. But if you're stuck and falling in love with him a little bit more because you got stuck on a verse, stay there. That's intimately abiding in the vine. And the fruit that's going to come from that is going to be explosive out here. That's the hidden form of prayer. That's the spirit-fed prayer. That's, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink it in. Because you can't give it out unless you drink it in. So back to the book of Acts, chapter 19. So Paul had amazing, unusual miracles. And then it says, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. People's words locate them, right? In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches does not exactly show any kind of intimate relationship with the Father. Because if they had been abiding in the vine and the word abiding in them, they would have said, in Jesus' name, period. They, had, they did not have any kind of intimate relationship with the Father. And what happened when they tried to pray out here? Because there was no roots going down deep into God, there was no fruit coming out here. Prayer fruit really is only one kind of fruit, too. And we'll get into that maybe another time. But you cannot fake intimacy. And some people want the benefits of relationship, 
without the cost of their relationship, even with him. Talked to a couple girls at church on Sunday, and their words just really located them to me. And um, they were wanting an answer on what to tell people when it's taken some time for them to get healed. Why won't God heal me? Why doesn't he want to heal me? I'm like, do you, do, let's just back up a second. I said, how's your relationship? How's your quiet time? How's your devotion time with him? Where are you at with him? Every day? Mm-mm. Once a week? Mm-mm. Once a month? Mm-mm. Like, is all you're getting what you're hearing in church? But there was no faith to receive healing from the healer either because they didn't know him. Faith is bred in intimacy with the Father because it's not just about what we can get from him. Healing and provision, those are byproducts of an intimate relationship with him. There are miracles. And the Bible says we can lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. It says to go into all the world and preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. There are signs and wonders out there. So I told them, I said, let's, let's just back it up a notch and why don't you just start abiding in the vine? Let's read the Bible every day. Let's pray every day. Let's spend some time, if you need healing, soaking in the scriptures about who the healer is and what he's provided for you. And then come back next week and let me know where you're at with that. Intimacy feeds your faith. And faith drives prayer. We got to have that abiding in the vine. And you know, abiding in the vine is not some big mount of transfiguration experience every day, right? <laughs> Everyone know what the mount of transfiguration was? Jesus took it with him, Peter, James, and John, and went up the mountain. And then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and his countenance was changed, and he was glowing white and bright, and there was this amazing, spectacular experience in the presence of the Lord, and Peter, James, and John heard it, and they were in awe, and Peter didn't know what else to say, so put his foot in his mouth and said, let's just build three tents and stay here. Like, just don't say anything, Peter. Just don't say anything. (laughs) And it was a spectacular And I think sometimes we get it in our mind that when we sit down to have our quiet time with God, it's just going to be this, I got to have a vision or I got to have a dream or I got to hear something or some big revelation or I'm going to, he's going to be reading the word and a verse is going to stand out to me and I'm going to write, 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 because that's what I like to do. I like to write. And you get this built up in your mind that it has to be this big experience every day. But that's not reality. Can I tell you that I sometimes go days without writing anything in my journal? And I write. I'm on my third journal of the year. I write. But there's days where I read the Word, and I pray, and I just worship or sit in His presence and get nothing. But that doesn't mean that the Word, that spirit and life that I was reading wasn't getting down into my heart. It just means that we're not led by feeling. Remember prayer, successful prayer is not based on a feeling. So we need to just set that little expectation aside right now because abiding in the vine is not a goosebump. It's not just a feeling. And sometimes those days are there. Sometimes I just wake up just in the presence of the Lord and it's so sweet and I have a verse bubbling and a song really just going through me and I can't wait to get out to my swing with my tea and my Bible and it's so sweet and tangible. And then there are some days where I get up on the wrong side of the bed (laughs) and am grumpy. You're not allowed to talk. And there's no scripture, and I can't think of any song 
And a secular song pops into my head, and then I can't get that out. Or a song from one of my kids' musicals. I can't get those out of my head, and I get my tea, and it spills on my swing, and it's just not a great day. But I still read to find something of him. And I still say, Father, whether I feel you or not, you don't ever leave me. You never forsake me. You're always with me. And whether or not I'm going to have a good day, today is not based on what I feel in my quiet time. It's based on the fact that you walk with me wherever I go. It's a day after day, feeling or no feeling, habitual, time in his word, time in his presence, relationship with his son. That's what abiding in the vine is. Smith Wigglesworth said something that fascinated me. He said, I never pray for more than 10 minutes, but I never go 10 minutes without praying. It's a constant, habitual. And I have my quiet time in the morning almost every day, almost. There's some days where I get up and hit the ground running. But that's not the only time that I pray or think of him or think of his scripture or read a scripture or get in his word or talk about him. And Billy Brim sang this song. Remember that song that I shall try to sing (laughs) all day long? All day long I've been with Jesus all day long. My lips have uttered praise all day long. My heart and soul was lifted in worship all day long. I have been with him. There's just a sweetness that gets you through anything that carries you past or over, under, or around any obstacles that come in your way, that keeps you from the panic when you're watching the news, that keeps you in that place of faith of knowing who he is, trusting who he is. I love um, when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead. We're going to close here in just a second. He went to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you hear me always. You know, that can also be translated to be in the audience. So what he was saying was, Father, I thank you that I'm always in the audience of you. How did he know God was going to answer his prayer? Father, I thank you that I am always in the audience of you. I know what you want. I hear what you're saying. I see what you're doing because I am always in the audience of you. And there was a book written years ago by Brother Lawrence and Brother... Do you remember that one? Practicing the Presence of the Lord. Back in the 1800s, each of them lived separately, but they both journaled about it. Their desire was to practice. Do you have that one? I can't find it. To practice the presence of the Lord, to be in his presence all day long, to think about him all day long. And they journaled their progress in it. Like, to, oh, I went 20 minutes and then my mind got distracted. Or I went an hour and then my mind got distracted. And their whole purpose in life was to live in the presence of the Lord. Now, can you imagine the byproduct of what that would look like, the fruit of prayer that would come forth from our lives, the fruit of confident trust in the one whose presence we're abiding in, the one who created everything that we can see, the one who knows what tomorrow looks like. The same one that appeared to Abraham and said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing that I'm about to do and used him to pray his plan in the earth before anything even happened? Abraham didn't have to wait to see it on the news to pray. And he knew God so well that when God told him what was in his heart and mind about it, he said, wait a minute. Will the judge of all the earth not do right? Will you really wash away the, wicked, the righteous with the wicked? He knew the heart of God enough to pray it. 
before there was any sign of anything ever to come. Oh, I can't wait till you teach on praying the future. But that comes from an intimate acquaintance with him. Those father and son intimacies from abiding in the vine. Hallelujah. There's more that we can say, but guess what? We've got three more sessions. <laughs> so we don't have to say it all tonight. But what I really wanted to end with, the rest of the sessions, we're going to end with corporate prayer. We're going we're gonna to end with the output, which is fun. I love prayer. I love praying together. I love praying God's will in this earth. But we're going to feed the river tonight. So we're just going to take a few minutes, enter back into his presence, Spend some time resting there. Is that all right with everyone? You can stand, you can kneel, you can walk, you can go back and find a private corner. You can stay in your seat if you want to. We're just going to sing a couple songs. We're going to pray to feed the river. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's find our position. Come on.